0: Bars. Dear heavenly father thank you once again for this privilege of gathering together thank you for giving us a family that we can fellowship with a family that transcends even blood ties father thank you so much for giving us people that we're going to spend all of eternity with to be able to enjoy a day like today uh, it can be wearying out there father as you know uh, we're just so very grateful for a place like this to come and to relax and to be recharged. Father, we pray for those that can't be with us this evening for legitimate reasons, and we pray for those that are still lost, that we might evangelize them before it's too late, that you humble them, whatever it takes, Father, you will be done. We're most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt to make an evening like this, something for all of us to enjoy and to relish. May we never become familiar with it. We just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, part 25 of the deceitfulness of sin, uh, still very much enjoying this series, as I hope you are as well. So many different facets, so many different uh, angles into Holy Scripture that really are designed to just set us free. This past week, we did a lot of work on the idea of the human conscience. Um, And if you missed any of those lessons, I encourage you really um, to go back and and listen to them. Uh, From Tuesday's lesson, we were given sort of a summary point up here on the board. A good conscience, only submission to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit can educate us, it's a good word too, educate us rightly so that we have good information to judge from because that's what a conscience does. It's a faculty, it's sort of uh, you know, computer-like that you give it good data, it's able to make good decisions. What you do with those decisions, now that's a free will issue and that's a separate issue Again, But the conscience is sort of just this little engine that takes data, uh, makes decisions whether something's right or wrong, and then we are able to judge and then uh, use that uh, for our free will and make decisions from that point. So only, though, this is the key that the Spirit's been making, only submission to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit can educate us rightly so that we have good information to judge from. The final point made on Sunday and with a lot of emphasis was read your Bibles. I know that sounds like a broken record, but that really is so unbelievably valuable and important to your spiritual growth. Read your Bibles. Even if you just read a chapter, it's better than nothing. Um, If you don't do this singular thing, read your Bible. You have stymied your spiritual growth in unimaginable ways. Unimaginable ways you have stymied your own spiritual growth. It's incredible that people do it, but they do it. And yeah, you might say, well, why would you use the word unimaginable? That seems kind of lofty. Not really. It's because of the simple fact that what God does for his faithful children is described in the bible as beyond our dreams beyond our dreams which means that to miss out is to miss out on things you can't even imagine so you're missing out on things it's unimaginable what you're missing out on up here in the board Ephesians 3.20 says it this way here's the amplified version now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do superabundantly, more than all that we dare, ask, or think, in other words, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams, according to His power that is at work within us. Again, now to Him who is able to carry out His purpose and do superabundantly more than all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams, according to His power that is at work within us again there's a reason why the spirit ended on sunday and has carried that final point of emphasis uh, in our studies read your bible and even is prominent at the start of this message as well read your bibles if you want a good conscience if you want to make good decisions in your life uh, you have to have the substance by which to make judgments upon Otherwise, you don't have anything to judge or measure against. Let's go to Ephesians 4.11. Ephesians 4.11. So it's very, very important. It's fundamental. It's primitive. It's critical that you have the substance of faith itself, that you have something to believe in, that you have true knowledge, truth, in other words. And that is what sets us free, ultimately. Ephesians 4.11 And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. In other words, God wants you to have good data. Why did he give this particular spiritual gift? Because he wants you to have good data. He wants me to encourage you to read your Bibles to gather unto yourself good data, because you show up on the scene with bad data. And then you wonder why your conscience functions so horribly. And where are all the blessings? And why do you keep making bad decisions? What is it about the data set that you're functioning on top of that's bad? That's what he's saying. And if you do nothing about it, it's never going to change. What I see people doing, and I do it myself, is we're lazy. So we don't go seeking more data, good data. We take the data we have, and we just massage it a different way and see if that works out. Well, I'm too lazy to actually pick up new stuff. I'm just going to move the blocks around and see if I can reorganize this and come up with some new fancy doctrines or something. When all along, all you need to do is just get the data, get the right data into your soul. Again, God wants you to have good data Again, all this for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. The knowledge, you see it, of the Son of God. How are you going to have knowledge of the Son of God if you don't read your Bible? If He's described as the Word and you have the Word in your Bible, how do you expect to get to know Him? He doesn't waltz around the streets anymore. It's the only way you can get to know him. You don't feel your way into Jesus. That's another farce that is in Christianity. Let's sing to our hearts' content and we'll feel Jesus. We'll celebrate somebody we don't even know. And everybody's like, ooh, yeah, kumbaya. You don't even know him. What are you celebrating? You're celebrating someone you think is in the Bible, but you've never actually opened your Bible to find out who he actually is. So who are you celebrating? You're celebrating yourself. That's who you're celebrating. You're celebrating the flesh. Again, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children. That's the beauty of reading your Bible. That's the beauty of having good data. It's no longer it's rock solid, you see. The Rock, capital R, is The Word, capital W. Same guy, same person, same word, same everything. He wants to insert all of that into your soul. Rock solid. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. What's the first thing someone does? What did do we learn in the garden? The first thing somebody does when they want to try to control you is lie to you. Deceitful scheming. Give you false data. Have you ever been snagged that way? Next thing you know, like, how did I end up in this spot? Well, so and so lied to me, and they got me to do this thing, right? Some people have lost millions and millions of dollars because they've listened to people with schemes, right? Oh, they, you know, they lied to them. This is a you know, this is a fail-safe scheme. This is a fail-safe whatever, this is a fail-safe and they invest all their money into it and poof, it's gone. What happened? They were deceived. Bad data. Someone lied to them. Craftiness and deceitful scheming. Don't be surprised. If you're not picking up the word of God, something's gonna happen. There's a vacuum in your soul. It thirsts for knowledge. It's the way we're built. Most of us are so lazy we sit on the couch and we just let it get pumped into us. Verse 15, But speaking the truth in love, this came out in droves on Tuesday, uh, but speaking the truth in love, we are to what? Grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. How do you know when you're really beginning to grow up spiritually? Up here in the board. 1 Corinthians sixteen fourteen. This is the litmus test. How do you know when you're really beginning to grow up spiritually? Let all that you do be done in love. That's how you know. That's how you know. That's the great litmus test, because love is the fulfillment of the whole law. That's how you know. And that's an easy litmus test, test to take, isn't it? You love Him and others before yourself even? That's the great test. Or do you still do everything for yourself? It's why you don't read your Bible, because your life and your fleshly plans have taken precedent over reading your Bible. That's how you know you're growing up, is that all of a sudden, you're not the priority anymore, Jesus is, and others, because that's what he wants you to prioritize, in that order. So let all that you do be done in love, that's how you know. Again, but speaking the truth in that love... We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself, what? In love. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, Being darkened in their understanding, they have bad data, dark, bad data. Being darkened in their understanding, bad data. Excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. It's not that they don't know anything, it's that they don't know truth. That's what makes them ignorant. There are a lot of very smart people. Think of like Neil Tyson Degassi, that idiot, who's a brilliant genius uh, physics guy, and he's a complete atheist. That means he's an educated moron. He's a complete moron, standing against the holy God of the universe, whose intellect makes his not... you can't even measure the difference between their intellects. And yet he casts aspersions at God because he's smarter than the average Joe. That's a a moron. That's an ignorant person, even though they're extremely intelligent. They're ignorant because they have bad data. And if you would ask him, you'd say, I'm right, right. If you were to debate with him, he'd say, I'm totally right. You're totally wrong. God doesn't exist. I think that's totally right. Where is that coming from? Bad data. Because he's ignorant of the truth. And so he has to function on what he thinks is true, which is actually false. And that's the importance of the Bible. Again, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance That is in them because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, again, the deceitfulness of sin in full view there, in accordance with the lusts of deceit, again, the deceitfulness of sin, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Again, it's all about good data. It's about the truth, you see. Peter is a source of encouragement for us as well. Go to 1 Peter 1.22. 1 Peter 1.22. So Peter also encourages us to function in the truth. And when we do that, like a, like a congregation like this one, we're able to march together in the unity of the faith, in love. We love each other. We may not like each other uh, or our personalities per se, But we love each other, because that's what brothers and sisters in Christ do. And that has everything to do with good data. That's the point. 1 Peter 1.22, there's a reason why you've grown to love me. I know that's hard to believe. And I've grown to love you. That might be even harder to believe. (laughs) It's because of this right here. It's because I've learned, and you've learned, that we're only human. And any mistakes you've made or any wrong things you've done to me, I know it's because of your flesh. I know it's because you're weak. I'm not going to treat you the way you quote, deserve to be treated, right? I'm going to try to treat you the way Christ treated you, almost despite your weaknesses. Understand, try to understand that you have moments of weakness and you say and do stupid things that are hurtful to me and others and vice versa. I'm not going to discern those things. There's a reason why we can walk lockstep the way we do, especially with this group for so long now, for like a decade now, most of you. And so that doesn't happen by chance. I mean, we wouldn't even probably know each other otherwise. We wouldn't even really run into each other if it wasn't for our faith and obedience to the truth. 1 Peter 1.22, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. That's how it happens. Obedience to the truth. Well, how do you obey something you don't know? And if you don't know anything, where does the love come from? You see, then becomes this false love. And in, in the only data you have about love, the only data that you're obedient to is something you read in a romance novel or you saw in general hospital when you were a kid or something. Who knows? Who knows where you got your data? But it's skewed, and therefore it's not real love. It's It's selfish love. It's self-serving love. It's not God's love. And so you see that it has everything to do with the Word of God. And if you don't have it, you don't get it. I believe the Spirit's just trying to get us properly situated in our perspectives. And to do so, we must understand where any problems may lie that frustrate our love for Him and for others. Like, what is it? What's going on? Where is this deception coming from? Is it our conscience? No. Is it necessarily our free will? No. It's actually behind all that. It's the genesis of all that. It's the data set. It's what is actually functioning in our soul. What do we believe to be true? What have we put there? What's been put there for us? What have we not displaced because we haven't been reading our Bibles? We haven't been faithful to this ministry that you've been called to. We haven't been the things that God says we need to be. And we haven't been receiving His grace. Those are the problems we've been looking at. So we must understand where any problems may lie that frustrate our love for him and for others, and we mustn't turn our anger or angst against the wrong human faculties. For example, our good consciences. We can't get mad because we don't know how to choose right or wrong in a certain situation. We have to look at what it is we're using for our measuring stick. What do we have for data? We must do what is right, seek the truth. Paul is a great example for us to learn from up here on the board, Acts 24, 16. In view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience, both before God and before men. A blameless conscience up here on the board. This came out on Tuesday. Paul let people know he was functioning in integrity towards the truth or at least to what he knew to be true, and that he was following his conscience. I mean, that's pretty much the best we can ever do, isn't it? And that's why we might differ in our opinions, so to speak. We might conclude different right and wrong, and it might be uh, right for you to do something and think something and wrong for me, and then vice versa. Who knows? Oh, y- you might be right and I might be wrong. But this is a good model to look after. Paul let people know he was functioning in integrity towards the truth, or at least what he knew to be true, and that he was following his conscience. Even if people disagreed with uh, him, uh, he let them know he was honestly doing what he thought was right. That's really the best you can ever do. And if you want to be pleasing to God, you want to be right by his standard, correct? And the only way, what the Spirit is telling us, the only way we're ever going to have any hope of doing that is if we have the Word of God in our soul. If we have the correct data set. I think there's a very subtle nuance here worth drawing our attention to, at least for a moment. Paul always put the onus of weight-bearing on the Word. Always put the onus of, of holding up his conscience even, uh, his decisions even, um, the things he taught even, he always put the onus of weight-bearing on the Word. What I mean to say is that while he spoke clearly and with conviction, he always deferred the ultimate conviction in others to the work of the Holy Spirit with the substance of the Word of Truth. In other words, he said, I want you to be like me. I want you to have a clear conscience. I know and you know that we're, always, we're imperfect, so we're never going to have perfect conscience, like, say, God would, con science with knowledge. But we can at least have integrity to what we think is correct. And so he always deferred to the ultimate conviction and others to the work of the Holy Spirit, just like I do. What do I always say? What's the broken ragged? Have your own convictions. I don't know everything. You, you know some things that I don't know especially about your own life. Have your own convictions about your own life. But what if you're so lazy that you don't pick up your Bible? That's like deaf ears, right? How are you going to have your own convictions if you don't have your own data set? Even your data set is on borrowed terms. You can't just take it from me. That's what he's saying. Even Paul deferred ultimate conviction to a work of the Holy Spirit with the substance of the word of truth. He was a master at what I like to think of as angles, quote-unquote angles, something I think we shepherds develop over time for our audiences vary so greatly. If you really pay attention to the manner in which Paul argued for truth, it was always along the same vein, and it's the same one that has been utilized from this pulpit up here on the board, Hebrews 13, 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. Now here's the note. It says imitate, not try to possess someone else's faith, a.k.a. have your own convictions. You will never have your own convictions if you don't have and possess your own knowledge. You just won't. It's impossible. You're always going to be unborrowed, or bad, I should say. Imitate, not try to possess someone else's faith, a.k.a. have your own convictions. How does one go about having their own convictions? Simple. You begin by acquiring your own knowledge. Remember these verses up here? These are some old friends, Proverbs 4, 7. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. The best thing you can do. The wisest thing you can do is acquire wisdom. And with all you're acquiring, get what? Understanding. And Proverbs 9.10, For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I said this earlier, how do you ever know the Lord Jesus Christ if you do not read your Bible? How do you function the way you're supposed to function if you don't have the data set? How do you make and discern right and wrong if you have no data If you're running on false data, it's asking too much. I'll give you the Amplified in Proverbs 4-7. The beginning of wisdom is, get skillful and godly wisdom. It is preeminent. And with all you're acquiring, get understanding. Actively seek spiritual discernment, mature comprehension, and logical interpretation. You know what logic requires? Data set data set. I had to take far too many data structures and logic classes in college, and it'd be impossible to exercise logic without data. (laughs) It was always, okay, here's the data. What can we logically do against this data? What if you have no data? Or what if the data is garbage? What kind of results are you going to get? Garbage. Garbage in, garbage out, right? Again conscience up here on the board, if you want to enjoy the blessings of possessing your own convictions born of a good conscience, you must begin by acquiring the word of truth. Otherwise, you will be deceived. I said this, I think, a Sunday or two ago. Why do you think we did all that? work? Remember, we had like a little, several little mini series, what is good and who gets to define it? What is repentance and who gets to define it? What is X, Y, Z and who gets to define it? And and threaded through all of that was this challenge against each one of us as individuals. Who's defining things for you? Seriously, who's defining something as fundamental as good for you? And let's face it, the average Christian out there is not picking up their definitions from the Bible. They're just too damn lazy. They're just too lazy. Some of them don't even have the right data about the gospel. Which is why, like I've said, like a broken record, I have a lot of fear for a lot of Christians. So-called Christians. A big fear for a lot of so-called Christians. They don't even have the gospel right. And you know what? Here's the kicker. This is the one that really grinds you. Um, They don't want it. They don't want it and economics 101 says well um heck if i'm a false teacher and i just want to you know be lifted up and uh, make some extra money maybe a lot of extra money what i can do is cater to people's fleshes cater to people who really don't want the gospel they just want something that makes them feel better about themselves Can't talk about surrender. Can't talk about submission. Can't talk about true humility. Can't talk about a lot of things that the true gospel of Jesus Christ demands. Can't talk about repentance. It's unbelievable. Sin will deceive you the way it has countless so-called Christians who, to their own demise have hardly ever sought the truth in the word of god sure they may attend church regularly but their heart is far from the holy god of the universe sin does everything it can to dissuade individuals from seeking the truth this of course flies directly in the face of our lord who said appear on the board matthew 6 33 but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness in other words Get your priorities straight, starting right here. If this is not your number one priority, you need to go home, and I don't know what to say to you. Make it your priority. Rearrange your life. Do whatever it takes. This has to be your number one priority. And if it's not, I don't know what to tell you. Those are Jesus' words. That's not Pastor Ed's words. He said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you do not be deceived like so many others into thinking that blessings come any other way learn the word for yourself learn the word for yourself think about it just doing as you're being instructed in this moment will help you clear your muddy conscience think about that Because you know by now, I mean, you should know, that you should be reading your Bible, right? I mean, that's not a mystery at this juncture. I hope not. So if you're not, your conscience won't be clear. Your conscience is going to bother you because you have correct data that it's good to read your Bible all the time. And if you don't, your conscience will bother you because God the Holy Spirit now has truth to work with to bug your conscience because that's how he works. (laughs) Now you're held responsible. I was thinking about that. You know, possessing truth in your soul is gold. You know what I mean by that? It's gold. There's nothing better than knowing the truth. I mean, you could be living in a cave right now. And if you had the truth, you could at least be content. Possessing truth in your own soul is gold. Jesus addressed the church at Laodicea this way. And as we read this passage, remember that he is speaking to a church body, not an individual. And secondly, take note of his utter distaste for people who become complacent satisfied with their fleshly appetites and dismissive of him he has utter distaste for all of that stuff you know I feel good I don't have any problems why would I read my Bible my life is pretty good. what do I need that for? go you know go um, encourage someone else Jesus Revelation 3:16 go there. Revelation 3.16 Isn't that what you're telling Jesus Christ when His under-shepherd says, Read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, to the point where I need a vacation? Are you not dismissing Jesus Christ in that moment? You bet you are. Because I speak for Him. That's my job. Revelation 3.16 So, he says, because you are lukewarm, not warm, not cold, in the middle, and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Just put that into perspective. He he would rather you have some conviction. How about that? (laughs) Just have a conviction. Whatever this state of mind you're in, this slothfulness, this complacency, this Well, I'm kind of doing pretty good. I'm going to shoot for the middle road. (laughs) He doesn't like it at all. Lukewarm, spit you out. Because you say, I am rich and I have become wealthy. Every American can almost say that. Everybody in this room pretty much can. I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise You, to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may become rich And white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and the eyes of to anoint your eyes so that you may see. You see what he's trying to do? He's trying to turn these people around. Wake up. Buy from me up here on the board gold refined by fire, most likely refers to righteousness, and or faith, Allah. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. That's Romans ten seventeen. In other words, taking the word of God. This is Christ's good counsel. You want righteousness imparted to your soul in terms of good data. Taking the word of God. You want to have faith that sets you free. Taking the word of God. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing by what? The word of Christ. You understand? Take in the word of God. That was Jesus again. Verse 18, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I saw to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. You know, some of you have that look on your face like, oh my goodness, here he is again. Just go on vacation, old bald dude. <laughs> right? But what does he say? Jesus isn't here. So he sends guys like me. He says, look at that guy. That's a show of my love. I ordained that spiritual gift for you. And look at he's there to reprove and discipline you because Jesus says, "I love you, so be zealous, let it be proof. I mean wouldn't it do, isn't it a greatest show of love to stand here day after day after day and and stand here and say, "This whole world's out of whack, you're out of whack to some degree, um this is you know." It's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing we're doing. It's all of Everything you see, every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday, and then in the writings of the blogs, et cetera, et cetera. Isn't that proof that he loves you? So be zealous and repent. I mean, trust me, it would be a lot easier to be a crappy pastor. Isn't that what most people do? They sell out. They sell out. They're not interested in telling the truth. They're interested in growing their church or being popular or saying popular things or making money even, which makes me nauseous, but you know what I'm saying. The fact that a guy like me, the fact that this ministry exists is proof of his love for you. And if it wasn't for this, this ministry would not go on. verse 20 he says look how encouraging this is behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me one of the blessings about having the word of truth in your personal possession is that it even helps with dealing with others it helps you in a general sense so as we've been learning, don't fight over consciences. One of the most effective ways of diffusing emotional banter over right and wrong arguments is to objectively, objectively consider each party's underlying knowledge and compare it to Holy Scripture. Love it! How are you going to do that if you don't have underlying knowledge, though? How are you going to do that if you know nothing about Scripture? You're going to get buried every time, sometimes by a moron like De- Degrassi, that Degrassi guy. He'll bury you. Because even you, he knows that you're a farce. You understand? There's so many Christians out there that are just absolute farces. You know how they're a farce? When you get them cornered, they say, well, Pastor so-and-so said, and you're not smarter than him. Oh, I see what's going on here. You're living on borrowed convictions. You don't actually want to take the time to do your own work. You You want to default to some other person. This isn't. This, we're not gladiators. <laughs> we're not meant to be thrown in the ring to each other and you cheer for me and somebody, else's, somebody else cheers for their pastor and we bore it out and you guys sit there eating popcorn and getting fat. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. We're all supposed to be on the field in the trenches together, speaking up for truth, showing ourselves approved so that we're not ashamed of the hope that's within us that's the way it's supposed to be don't fight over consciences don't take that route don't take that bait remain objective but the whole key with objectivity is that it requires substance it's easy to be subjective well I feel this way well what do you what does the Bible say I have no idea so you, what you're saying is you can't be objective you can only be subjective you can only be an emotional basket case you can only wail at me about how dastardly I am because your son or daughter's a homosexual and I said they're a sinner. You can only wail at me and tell me I'm a bad person when I'm functioning objectively and you're functioning subjectively. Some of you are the subjective person in that scene. Some of you are the objective one dealing with the subjective. Worst case, two subjective idiots. The way out, a beautiful thing about having knowledge, is you can remain objective. And like Paul did, you can put all the weightiness of it on the Word. Say, well, this is what the Word says. You can wrangle with the Word. But that's what I believe. I believe in the Word. I'm not going to default to a man or a woman or somebody who I think is a spiritual giant, or anything like that, or in in the know, I'm going to just default to the Word. Well, how do you default to something you don't have? That's the whole point. Today's Christianity lies to you, which is the deceitfulness of sin, and says subjectivity is sufficient for debate. But it's not. Again, the closing emphasis... That has carried uh, throughout our messages this week is up here on the board. Read your Bible. I'll probably die. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how long he'll have me do this, but I'm sure for the remainder of the time he does have me do this thing, I'm going to be saying this. It's the greatest bit of advice I can possibly give you. It's better than even, hey, you need to come to church. It's better than that even. It shouldn't be one or the other, but it's better than that even. Do not be deceived by sin into thinking that Jesus Christ was a liar. His most poignant, targeted advice was always to take in the word of truth. There are no substitutes. If you think what I'm saying to you about read your Bible is garbage, you're calling Jesus a liar. If you read your Bible, you'd know. If you had that data, you'd know. Sadly, some of you do have that data. Your conscience convicts you, and then you say no with your free will, which is why you're miserable wretches. I don't mean to say that for everybody, it sounds awful. It's why you're miserable. Some of you are miserable, and you will remain miserable because you keep rejecting the truth about this simple thing. Take in the Word of God. No matter what. God promises to deliver you from all the bad data the world has inserted into your flesh. Even the doctrines you were born with. You know, the Self righteous stuff. The self righteous stuff. And when this happens, you'll be able to make good decisions that bring glory to God because your conscience will no longer be defiled along with your mind. One last passage to drive this point home. Go to 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. It's funny because I think some people think there's a magic. There's some magical thing that happens um, or some, you know, like the world would call it an epiphany. You may have lights go off, but there's no epiphanies per se. It's actually work. It's actually labor. It's actually work. I know you guys are tired. It's a Thursday night. Where is everybody? Who the heck knows at this point? Pretty soon it's going to be like one sliver I'm looking at. I'm just going to tell people over here, just go over here and sit here so I don't have to turn. Right? What's the problem? Seriously, What's the problem? Priorities. Nobody wants the truth. Truth says make the Word of God a priority. Make taking God's grace a priority. People moan, oh, no, you don't understand. I have work, I have this, I have that. Yeah, well, who says you have to have that job? The one that takes you away from learning the Word of God. Who says you have to have that life? Who says you have to have 17 children? I guess if God bless you, you know what I'm saying. Who says you have to have 78 cats and dogs? No, I'm serious. Who says you have to have a mortgage you can barely pay? Or rent you can hardly make each month? Who says any of this stuff? The Bible doesn't. Those are all, like, wants. That have been prioritized above what the Spirit's teaching us this evening. The fundamental truth that you have to take in the Word of God. Look at verse uh, 4, verse 1, 1 Timothy. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith. I've seen it. We call it apostasy. I've seen it. God help them. I'm serious. People that I care about, no longer. I'm not even sure. They say they're Christian, but there's nothing about their lives that actually is any evidence of it. The Spirit says explicitly in later times, some will fall away from the faith. Not all, some. Paying attention to deceitful spirits. You know we're we're inundated. With demons, you do know that, right? Everybody laughs at me. Even I had company over, and I think they might have giggled at me a little bit. We we're watching a Super Bowl, and I'm like, you know that 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 gridiron right there has a bunch of demons on it, right? Nobody wants to think that way. I actually believe that because I believe it's for the most part, it's a bunch of idols, and everybody's like, what? it's like uh, a frenzy, like almost, I hate to be gross, but like an orgy, like an, ex- an, an orgy of ecstasy. Everybody's like, wow, and people are losing their minds, some people are crying, oh my God, I can't believe we lost, oh my God, I can't believe we won. It's like, wait, what are you crying about? This is a football, it's a game, G-A-M-E, a game. In a different society, maybe Monopoly would be, no, I'm being serious, it's a stinking game. Have we forgotten? It's a game. It's a form of entertainment. What are we doing? Grown men crying. Consoling their kid. Oh, it's all right next year. Are you kidding me? A bunch of demons running around. Uh, Paying attention to deceitful. Don't miss that word. I mean, that's been... the. Lynchpin to our messages, right? To deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. You know what a doctrine of demon is? That it matters who wins the Super Bowl. That's a doctrine of demons. Now, don't get me wrong. I watched it too. I got excited. And just, you know, la la But we got to keep these things in check, people. This is not the end of the world. I- I'd be willing to bet somebody hurt somebody on that day because their team lost. How much you want to bet? Fist to cuffs. How much you want to bet if it wasn't some drunk dude in the parking lot? What the hell is going on? Grown men beating each other up in front of their kids because their team doesn't win. I remember reading a story one time. A hockey dad killed a guy in the parking lot because of a high school hockey game. A hockey dad beat a guy with his fist so bad the guy died. All right, what the heck is wrong with people? It's a game, G-A-M-E, a game. Lost our minds, but this is what the Bible says, you understand. This is literally what the Bible says is supposed to happen. People are paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. You can't even tell these people they're wrong. Can you imagine if I went up to Bob Kraft at the end? Halt the presses! You're an idiot. Unless you believe in Jesus Christ, you Jewish man, you're going to burn in hell. You and all the other unbelievers on your ridiculous team. Same goes for the other side. I'm not picking on the Patriots, you know what I'm saying. Same goes for the other side. All those morons over there. You're going to burn in hell. I'd probably get thrown out. Their conscience has no idea what I'm talking about, they'd say, this guy must be a Jesus freak or something. Do You know You know what I'm getting at, right? I would be dubbed a Jesus freak. I would be shut off the air. I wouldn't even make that three-second lag or whatever they use on public broadcasting. Like, go to another thing, because I'm weirdos attacking Bob. The billionaire. Bob knows best because he's a billionaire. Didn't you know that? That's the true nature. I mean, why do we listen to the, now I'm on a rant, but who cares? I'm tired. <laughs> Why do we listen to that moron that owns Facebook? Zuckerberg, I think he's like 30, 30, low 30s now. Why in the world would I ever listen to that moron? First of all, he's an atheist. Second of all, what the hell does he know about anything? Jesus Christ controls history, not Zuckerberg. But people are lifting him up because he, what? he's worth billions. See, that's the thing with America. You make a lot of money, all of a sudden you're super intelligent in every possible thing that you could come out of your mouth you know what that's called that's called becoming a god and if i was to approach them as a humble guy who lives in rehoboth you know whatever his conscience is so seared towards the truth he would dismiss me presumably i hope you get the point i'm not picking on one person i'm picking on a figurehead at this point people would just dismiss me I have gold I'm carrying, refined by fire, so that they might see the light, so that their eyes can be opened. And their conscience is so seared, they think I'm a complete buffoon. How in the world does that happen? Their consciences are dulled right out now, seared. It would be interesting, I mean, he may never disclose this to us, but i wonder what these, the statistics are of billionaires in salvation i would be i would like to know that seriously i wonder what the i wonder what the ratio is wonder what that looks like all right and i'm not saying this cuz this is my own personal experience. jesus christ is the one who says it's easy to get a camel through the eye of a needle didn't get a rich man to me. I mean, this is what is expected. How is that the case? Because they have all this false data. People keep telling them, you're rich, you're awesome. You don't need a savior. You can be your own savior. You can buy your way out of jail. OJ did it. You can do all this stuff if you have enough money. That becomes data, you see? Well, I'm rich pretty much can do whatever I want." That becomes their data set. And now all of a sudden their conscience is defiled. And the things they do that they think are right, actually aren't, but based on their data set, they are. So when a guy like me comes along with the truth, or you come along with the truth, they don't want to hear it. It's the truth from the Word of God, and they do not want to hear it. Because their conscience is basically deadened, completely dominated by false doctrine doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy that verse 2 of liars see it in their own conscience as with a branding iron men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods these are just particulars at the time which god has created to be gratefully shared in those who believe and what know the truth know the truth there's the distinction what did jesus say up here on the board John 8, 31, 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. If you continue in my word, another litmus test, if you have no taste, no appetite for the word of God, you have a problem. If you have no appetite for the truth, you have a problem. Am I not describing a significant portion of Christianity? People who say they're Christian but have no appetite whatsoever for the Word of God? I may even be talking about people that come here on a Sunday regularly. I don't know. I hope not, but it's possible. He says, if you continue in my Word, that's a pretty big if, isn't it? Isn't that a pretty big if to you guys? If you continue in my word, any questions? I mean, it's not like he's saying, well, maybe if you, no, he's saying, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Because that's what the truth does. It makes you free. Almost out of time, I can't believe it. Let's reiterate the basics before we close. <clears throat> conscience, this is where it all started. Again, we're still in the deceitfulness of sin. For whatever reason, this little nuance, this space, this faculty that sits between data and free will, the, the, the human conscience, that's what he used as a vehicle to get us thinking. Another angle, just like Paul would use. Conscience, con plus science, with plus knowledge, means to know oneself. A person's good conscience is based on data. It is not the source of data. Rather, it is especially equipped to judge right from wrong. That's its whole goal. Since we are born depraved of truth, we are born deceived by sinful thoughts, born with a sinful mind. At salvation, God the Holy Spirit shines light into our souls on the topics of God's plan for deliverance namely the extent of our depravity and the Messiah solution. That's when things start getting good. Unless you're completely seared, unless you're dull, unless your hearing's dull. You hear but don't hear, see but don't see, as Jesus might say. There's a lot of those people out there. But at salvation, we know if we're saved, if I'm speaking to a group of believers, we knew that God the Holy Spirit shined light in our soul on the topic of God's plan for deliverance. We repented because we understood our depravity. And we relished the fact that He presented us with His Son, the Messiah, our Savior. Because we had no way to save ourselves. No way. To create righteousness that was sufficient for the holy God of the universe. That's truth. That's light. And that's good. And that's why, even though it stings sometimes, think about the accounts in the Bible. Wait a minute. When Jesus would set someone back on their on their, their heels. And if they received the gospel well, they were zealous and they repented, just like we read. That's the pattern. When truth hits a humble heart, we're zealous for it, even if it hurts us. And we repent, and we say thank you, like I taught a few lessons back. Thank you, didn't know I was hurting you. Thank you for loving me enough to tell me the truth about myself. Thank you for being a good father. Of course, our flesh despises such truth, because it maintains supreme control through lies, false data. But as we just learned, if a person is relegated to lies, even their conscience is defiled, and every decision they make is for self, not God. And I'll go, let's go quickly. Go quickly to Romans 8:6, and we'll review this, and I have to close. In all fairness to unregenerate man, we wouldn't expect anything different, or we shouldn't, certainly. Here's why. Romans 8, verse 6. To expect something different would be deception. That's another deception altogether that we believers fall into. We expect everyone to, um, I don't know, magically measure up to our own status every time we take one step forward. Where is everybody else, we ask. And we get angry and impatient, and it's gross. Romans 8, 6, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Again, points of review quickly up here on the board. It is not even able to do so. The human flesh is totally depraved, incapable of performing any good deed in God's eyes only divine intervention by grace is able to save and deliver man from his destitution second furthermore man is totally blind left to his own devices his conscience judging good and bad from a poor data set this is why carnal man argues so vehemently against truth from his perspective he is functioning in integrity it's not that they have a bad functioning conscience, it's they have, that they have bad data. So I guess I'll leave you with this. Um, here's our connective tissue back to our series, The Deceitfulness of Sin. Sin equals lies equals Tashuka. That's what I have in my notes here. And I know it's not a, a mathematical equality, so take it easy. Sin equals lies equals Tashuka. Sin equals lies equals Tashuka. How you ever manipulated? Someone lies. I love you. Three of the most amazing words, possibly the most dangerous words. Who hasn't been burned in a relationship before? Love you, my brother. It doesn't have to be romantic. Love you, my brother. Next thing you know, they stab you in the back. Sin equals lies equals tashuka. The flesh is always trying to dominate, always. Do whatever it takes, lie, cheat, steal, whatever it takes. Sin equals lies equals tashuka. In other words, if you're deceived about the raw data of truth, you will always be a slave. You will always be a slave to God's enemies. that's our connective tissue. We are out of time. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for giving us the ability, not just the faculties, but the ability, the time, uh, the energy, the thoughtfulness, the concentration, Father, to learn, to take in the very bread of life, the thing that sustains us, the thing that ultimately convicts us father the truth that sets us free thank you thank you thank you we just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned out to a lost and dying world father that needs it so desperately we ask this in jesus christ's precious name by the power of the spirit we do pray amen thank you